0: essential Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code BUBBA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off in free shipping with promo code BUBBA at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles at manscaped.com. Promo code BUBBA.
1: Welcome to the Anna Hummel Show. Happy Friday. 81390 Bubba. Is that too hot? I feel like it's a little hot. You can't see any of the levels call all these fucking post-it notes that Boobie has everywhere. Welcome to the show, 81390 Bubba. If you'd like to call in, and join the conversation. All the things we're gonna be talking about today. Some things we maybe missed on the uh, on the main show, some things I want to get into a little bit deeper. Uh, obviously, I want to share my thoughts with you guys because I got a lot of thoughts. I got a lot of things that are on uh, on my mind, so we need to get into all of that. Uh, first off, thank you guys so much for being so receptive to my father last week. It was uh, it was a really great visit from my dad for a number of reasons. Number one, um, I kind of liked how he was on my turf, so I could kind of set a bit more of the the rules and regulations. It's harder for him to boss me around when he's in my house, which it was great. Um it took me about thirty six years to realize that my dad's love language is just me planning shit for him. It took me a while to figure that out. He likes it, you know, when because it's a it's a form of showing love when someone comes to visit you and it's not like you pick them up and you go, okay, well, what do you want to do? You know, my dad likes is like, this is what we're doing. This is the day we're doing it. This is what time we're doing it. He likes that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, we're at that crux right now where I feel like not that I'm shifting into the parent position, but I'm kind of taking the lead in a lot of ways of, and it could just be that he was visiting me and it's kind of my job as the host to make sure that he has a good time, that he feels comfortable that he has all of his amenities, and by that I mean his vegan coffee creamer and some other shit that he likes. And just to make, you know, I mean, he spent the money to come out here and see me. The least that I could do is make sure that he's comfortable and that, you know, there were some plans in action. Because especially when you are someone like, my, my dad is extremely hyperactive, uh, has always been his entire life, and as he is... Now, he's not going to like me saying this, but as he's approaching the ripe age of seventy, he he seems to show no signs of slowing down whatsoever. J H uh, M three nineteen ninety nine and a bitch ate what. Thank you very much for the uh, the moolah going into the weekend. It helps us. It helps us a lot. So thank you very much. So we had a great time. We saw you know his. Coordinating plans with his cousin was uh, somewhat challenging. Uh, His cousin is turning 85 next month, and he is dating a woman that is 35 years his junior. Very impressive. Very impressive. And when you see something like that, when it's like, you know, most couples have like uh, maybe a 10-year plan, at least a five-year plan, but when you're dating someone who's pushing ninety, it's like, mm, how far can we really plan into the future? You know. And it was funny because I was talking to his. Feels weird calling her a girlfriend, but that's what she is. We we all had dinner together. <clears throat> My father, uh, Blitz, and then his cousin and the cousin's girlfriend, who was much closer in age to me at the age of fifty than she is to him, who is eighty five. And so I just try to get a kind of a scope of where her head's at because it's it's a curious thing. Now, if he was dripping in wealth and super, you know, super wealthy, had a lot of assets, you know, that would kind of explain itself. But that's not the case. My Dad's cousin certainly isn't rich. I mean, he's certainly not poor, but he's certainly not rich. And it seems like she may even have more money than him. So you go, hmm. Is this uh what 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 do we see here because I feel like on some level I I get it you like the person but then on another level you go there's something just a little off Brian from Philly $20 on the cash Thank you very much appreciate you So I'm always very curious to to learn about people what makes them tick what motivates them you know, why would be the case that, uh, you know, a newly 50-year-old woman would be dating someone who's 85? And, and she certainly doesn't give me—she seems like a very pure woman, I'll tell you that much. she She really just wants companionship. <clears throat> and it could also be the fact that she lives in Sarasota, and so, you know, old as fuck is just kind of like the M.O. out there, so that's what she sees. And he's a very spry 85-year-old, I should mention. Very spry. He is my longevity— Uh, future self, like I see we have a lot of similarities, a lot of things that I thought were just me being quirky and weird. I think certainly have a genetic component when I when it's me, my dad, him, you know, he's he keeps a food log or used to used to write down all the times he ate. He's obsessive about eating certain things and not eating others. He's obsessive about exercise. He's obsessive about a lot of things that I am very interested in. And it's kind of nice to kind of peek into the future and go, okay, well, not only does this person have a lifestyle similar to mine, but we are related. So there's also that. Not by much. It's my dad's first cousin. So it's quite removed in terms of genetics. But nevertheless, it, we do share some blood. So I was very curious to whenever I asked him, you know, what he's doing. Is he running? Is he not running? He was like, yeah, I ran uh, a couple miles the other day. Again, this guy's 80 fucking five years old. He's running. It's crazy, crazy stuff. Now I could go on and on about that, but I, but I won't, I won't. I know it's much like Bubba talks about sports and uh, Dan talks about vaginal rejuvenation, whatever they're, they're, they're passion things. Mine is obviously longevity, health, fitness shit. It's just, to me, I just like the fact that you can sit in the driver's seat and go, ah, we're, we're, we're going left here. We're going left. We're not going right. I'm not just a, a victim of my circumstances. I am in the driver position and, and even though and i i stole this from a doctor online but you know your genetics are like uh, the bullets in the gun but your environment is the one that pulls the trigger so you know you could have something in the hopper locked and loaded ready to go cancer heart disease whatever but if you decide that you are in the driver's seat and you change your environment and your lifestyle the the gun will never shoot off and you can prevent a lot of things 81390 Bubba, um, I can't stay for too too long because I am going to get the botox, which is interesting because, um, I had actually reached out to Jennifer to try to schedule an appointment with Dan, uh, and then the next day Bubba's like, "Anna, you need botox." That's actually how he o- opened the show, and I went, "Damn, I do need botox. It's bad." And it, this light is just kind of forgiving; you can't really see. Um, my complexion close up, but it's it's bad and it's getting worse quickly, I noticed. Even in the last few months, I've noticed that certain lines are aggressively coming out, shadows and whatnot, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I was trying to think of what is the age, and I'd love some input from you, some of you, certainly not all of you, 81390 Bubba, the age at which, and it could be... It's let's just keep it for women because I feel like guys get they get wrinkly they get the gray hair and they tend to become more attractive. Now it depends on the man, but typically if you got everything going right and you're doing the right things and you're making the monies and you're keeping in decent shape, you tend to you tend to look your best. I think women find men probably between the ages of. I would say 35 and 50 is probably the hot spot for guys in terms of looks. Again, if they're keeping it together, because we can all recognize that a a young 23-year-old Calvin Klein model is attractive, but even, even if I look at like a hot young guy, it's still like, Eh, you just don't, you just, you look like a boy. But then when you hit that age of like, let's say 30, 32, looking a little bit more esteemed, like that aging is like most women would find that to be appealing. Um, And it's funny, even if nothing else is associated with it, even if I don't know anything about their finances or whatever, if they're in good shape and they got like a decent body, for some reason, as they get, even if they're past their their athletic or their physical prime they tend to just look better i don't i don't know maybe it's just a personal preference or maybe it's that i'm getting older not quite sure but for women it seems like there's a point and i was trying to think about what age that typically is and i think it's around my age between 34 to 36 is you stop just looking good But then it then comes the clause for your age, you know, because it's like you could just be hot and you're 25. It's like you're hot for 25. It's like, no, you're just hot. You're 25. But then you get a little bit older and it's like, yeah, you look great for 35. (laughs) What? Yeah, you look great for 35. Uh, You don't look great for 25, but you look great for 35. So then the the scale becomes different. And I realize in this regard, I can actually excel because in this regard, I have a little bit more control because while everybody else is just letting, you know, life pass them by the standard American diet into their life, inviting it with open arms becoming sedentary and not doing shit when I'm out there fucking doing mobility work and lifting weights and doing, you know, 150 minutes of zone two training, that's really when I can excel. So then I was like, okay, maybe if I can take that mental shift and say, Instead of going, woe is me, oh man, I'm aging, this sucks, whatever. But then switch it and go, I can start looking good for my age. Now I can stop being in the start being in like the top ten percent. I can't compete with the twenty-two year olds, obviously. But maybe I could be the top ten percent of my the the thirty-six year old woman, and that's okay with me. Eight one three ninety Bubba. When do you think that point is when a woman, let's say, starts looking good, quote, for their age? When does that become a clause? Because I feel like I've been f- I've been feeling this shift heavy probably in the last 3 years. Like it's it's palpable and I don't know if it's just my brain playing tricks on itself. I would say probably not because I am hypersensitive to a lot of things, mostly not being invited to parties, but among other things, very like it in- sensitive to like uh, the way that people treat me, approach me, um, the way that society views women, men, whatever—just how it, the fabric of society—it's so complex. But oftentimes we don't notice it because it's kind of like a try explaining a water to a fish. It's all around them; it, they know nothing else. <clears throat> but I try to break it down and go, "Huh, this is different." Uh, this isn't how it it happens in, you know, X society or Y society. This is typically American society, whatever, like just things that, again, we just kind of take for granted because it's just kind of the landscape, the backdrop of how we live. But then when you kind of take a step back and this is, this is why I value, you know, traveling or talking to people from other places is you just get kind of like a good perspective of like, oh, this isn't just how it is. This is specific to us. This is specific to American or Western culture, things like of that nature. So, uh, yeah, um, trying to embrace aging. I think about it way more now, way, way more. I'm way more like aware of my age. Um, I never used to be. I used to just be like, I'm young. And now I'm like, that really, not, not so much. That's okay. That's okay. And I try to start thinking about all the other things. And it's here's the thing, which is funny because, like, my fall from grace isn't even that bad because I was never a model to begin with. I can only – and not that I'm, like, here to be like, woe is – you know, I feel so bad for models. I don't. But when you put all of your uh, currency and value into looks or how you look or whatever – then when that goes away, sometimes that can be painful for some people. Now, again, if you were never, like, the hottest chick in the room to begin with, the fall from grace is is, is much softer because you go, well, I never really relied on that anyways or relied on it less than most and was forced to, you know, develop things like a personality or uh, good habits or not being a total cunt um, because I feel like, and it's funny, this is just um, a given when it comes to life is – And maybe you guys know people like this where it's like you you're you're given a hand in life. And again, you can play that hand, the better or worse. But, you know, and I was talking about this to my girlfriends. We were talking about someone that I knew and I was saying, you know, she's gross, homely, beastly. um, And she's a bitch. I'm like, you can't. It can't be both of those things. And both of my girlfriends were just shaking their head. Yes. Yep. Can't be both. If you're going to be just a nightmare of a woman, you have to be hot. Those are the rules. Um, and if you're not super hot, you have to be very friendly. You have, you have to be, but some in rare occasions, you find both like hot and super nice, like a Missy Hazlett, for example, where you're like, how are you this grounded? I don't get it. Um, but then sometimes you find the opposite, which is obviously you know the worst combination, which is gross and just absolutely horrific as a human being. And you go, yeah, "This isn't. Well, you can't. You can't. This isn't." You just shake your finger and you go, "I don't have to take this from you." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when it, when someone really really gross and ugly is mean to you, you're like, "I can't." Th- no, I I refuse to accept this behavior. But when it comes from a better looking person, you go, "Okay." I get it. Not that you give it a pass, but you're just like, okay, this you, you expect other things because you've always been given things because you're an attractive person. And that goes for men and women, but really women, is that they just, they get away if they're hot. They can get away with a lot, but again, even for the hottest women in the world, the looks start to fade, so you probably should start banking on other stuff. You know, putting other stuff in the piggy bank. You know, putting stuff in the skill category or the um uh you know baking whatever not that that's really a skill but things that you can acquire uh knowledge wisdom those sorts of things it's important I think to try to work on yourself as as a person outside of your looks especially if you're an attractive person because when it goes away you go oh I I got nothing left and that's not good for anybody that's not good for anybody. Eight one three ninety, 90 bubba And I feel like um, this has led me to... Uh, and Not that I'm going to cut off all of my hair. Clearly, I'm not going to do that. And I'm really glad I have a whole week to, to think about it. But I was feeling very impulsive yesterday. Uh, I mean, to the point where I had made an appointment... With um, Nick the Gun Guy's girl, who is uh, she's a very good stylist, by the way. Uh, I went on her Instagram and I'm like, "This is good shit. This is great shit." But I almost, feeling as impulsive as I was, I almost just walked into a Fantastic Sam's that is adjacent to a Walmart, so nothing good can come from that. But I just wanted to rid myself of this mane, and uh, and here's the thing, and I and this will kind of segue nicely into what I what we. Touched on earlier in the in the main show that I want to touch on now, which is like this need for novelty, you know. And even though I think I will look better with long hair, like almost certainly with longer hair than shorter hair, I'm willing to take the hit just for something fresh, something new. So even people are like, "Oh, you're gonna look bad with short hair, or worse with short hair," I'm like, "You're probably right." I probably will look worse. That's, you know, typically not the goal, but also I don't want to have to rely on my hair. I feel like I've had a an emotional bond with my mane. I'm I'm very what's the non-religious equivalent of blessed. I'm very fortunate, lucky, if you will, <clears throat> that I that I've, I have great hair, nice hair. It's I mean, it's unruly and it's dewy, but it's like it's good ass hair. It's thick, you know, it's uh it has a nice curl pattern when I take care of it. Oftentimes it looks like shit because that's lack of effort, truly. But, you know, if I had decided to put a little bit more effort and maybe wash it once or twice more a week instead of, you know, I usually wash it like twice a week because it's just fucking annoying and you're not supposed to wash it every day. But... <clears throat> You know, I've, I've, I, I, it could look better if I, if I tried, but it's, it's good hair, it's stock good hair. I'm, I must admit, and because of that, I've definitely used it as it's like, it was like one of my highlighting features. You know, a lot of people, and sometimes if you're a woman, you may have a great rack or a great ass or a great face, but my hair was really kind of something that I. I leaned into, I was like on with the hair. I had crazy hair. It's kind of like part of, like loosely part of my identity and how I present. But I just want to see what it's like without it, you know? And even if I look worse and chances are, I probably will. I probably will not be able to pull off. Again, I'm not going for short hair, not going for a bob, but maybe a lob, maybe a lob. And it, maybe it's going to be poofy and maybe it's going to look stupid. And And it's funny because it's like, I was talking to my friend about this, and she's very much in favor of impulsive changes when it comes to you know looks, you know, especially things that are not permanent. Maybe don't impulsively get a tattoo. Maybe don't impulsively get microblading on your eyebrows because that's also a tattoo. But if you want to, if you want to get a Botox or lip injections, all that stuff can be reversed. Or a hair color or a haircut that can be. Maybe not immediately reversed, but with time, it will change and it'll be go back to how it was before. So um, I just think I want to see what it's like without the mane and see if I can just handle it. And maybe it's a weird challenge thing. I just want I want I want change. I want novelty. And I think a lot of times that's really what people are after. They think it's about the hair, but it's not about the hair. It's about something new, something fresh. (laughs) And uh, that will segue nicely into our chat. I know it seems like everybody disagreed with me on the show, um, which is an unusual that seems to happen from time to time, whether I talk about the death penalty or circumcision or uh, religion, perhaps. But I, I do think sometimes sex isn't about sex. Sometimes I think it's about something else. And we'll get into that after I take this call so responsibly. Hello, who's this?
2: Hi, Brian from York, Pennsylvania. How you
1: doing? Hi, Brian from you. Did you say New York, Pennsylvania?
2: York, Pennsylvania.
1: York. Excuse me. Um, welcome to the program. Right. Thank you for calling in. And uh, what what might be the nature of this call?
2: Well, I have a curious question for you because uh, you are of the uh, Jewish descent, and I, am. I have some relatives uh, who are uh, Jewish. Yep. Um, and. The money and the finance part. I know you're you're very investigative and you analyze things and you go down these rabbit holes and I like listening to you. I appreciate it. I'm wondering that. where the origin of the Jews with the money and how I guess for lack of mm-hmm. a better term, how tight they are and how not willing to part with things and where, where that comes from. Yeah. Because it's really it, it really it, it bothers me at times when I see some of my relatives I'm like
1: perpetuating Why? stereotypes <laughs> Is that what you're asking it, it, does it bother you when they are perpetuating their own stereotype? Is that what you're gonna ask?
2: Well, you could say it that way yeah, okay so I was wondering I'm wondering where the where the root the, the origin of this of this mentality comes from
1: yeah, I've done a little bit of looking into regarding where that stereotype comes from. And and by the way, like, stereotypes most of the time, more more likely than not, it's not random that most of the time that you, you are correct. When you think about somebody and you're like, hmm, this person seems to be, again, I'm not saying anybody, but if you see someone... Looting or stealing or whatever, and you go. I think it might be. Oh, okay. Or if you if you hear about a dog attack and you go, it's probably a pit bull, and then you're right. Like eighty percent of the time, it's you're you have a better chance of than absolute random of guessing correctly, and that's where stereotypes come into play. That doesn't mean that every Jew is cheap or frugal, but it's it's kind of a cultural thing to be a little bit tight with money. Um. And uh, did you want to stay on the line or you want me to did, you, you'll stay on the line? Sure, I'll stay on the line. On um, the line. I think yeah. it comes from Jews in the, I want to say in the, maybe the Middle Ages, maybe at the, the beginning of the Renaissance. They were involved in money lending. I think that they were kind of blacklisted for most trades in Europe. And. The only things that they were really able to get into was kind of being a middleman when it came to money. So they could take money, like hold on to it, loan it out to other people, make interest on it and work that way. And that's how they were able to make a living because they weren't allowed in a lot of parts of of standard society, as far as I recall. And so when you look at, like, say, the the origin of the Rothschilds, OK, I believe the Rothschilds originally were from Frankfurt, Germany, if I I think that's correct. They were involved in money lending. So they'd collect coins from people, hold on to it. And then before they knew it, they were working with royalty, nobility, lending money to these people because they were pretty much ousted from every other trade in in much of um standard society. And how they became cheap, I think it's just kind of like you just don't, you don't spend frivolously if you want to hold on to money, especially if you were a marginalized group for millennia or two, right? The Jews were persecuted by the Romans. They were persecuted by other Europeans. They were persecuted in the Middle East and then, you know, in America, whatever. So when you don't. When, when, when much of society is outcasting you because you're not a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, you're certainly a minority, probably spending frivolously is not a good idea because I think there's less people to help you out. And there's if you can't find a job because no one will hire you because you're a Jew, you probably don't want to go and gamble it all away. Which is why no, like nobody in my family gambles. It's I, I. would be hard pressed to find any Jewish person that I personally know that is a is a gambler. You know, uh, it's just really not so a part of the culture, a,
2: a trade or a vocation for them.
1: Yeah, of course. they got into right. money lending, and when you're involved in money lending, you understand how money works, how to save it, um, trends. And they could probably tell you, hey, spending money frivolously is not a good idea if you're trying to save it because they were involved in a lot of business economics, things like that. And anybody would tell you, any sane business person, man, woman, baby, non-binary, would tell you that you probably don't want to spend frivolously when you're trying to start a business or hold on to money. That's not... What you want to do. That's not just it's if if someone else acts like a Jew, it's like, oh, you're a good business person. You're you're smart with your money. But if you're happy to be a Jew, now you're being cheap, which is funny. But honestly, most at least a lot of people in my family aren't cheap with family and friends. Actually, that's a lie. I just lied. Now yeah, they are. They fucking are. I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, my dad's not cheap with. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's not a it's right. not a fle- it's it's different. It's funny because like a, a flex in, in a Jewish community is how much money you can save. Whereas like a flex in say, I'll be very specific, like, you know, the black community is how much you can spend, you know. And I feel like Little Dicky, if anybody knows or remembers who that is, he's a Jewish rapper, but he has this whole song. Fuck. What is it called? Chat, help me out. I think it's called Save Money. What is it called? It's like his number one hit. And he had this whole video. You got to check it out. It's this whole video where he's driving like a Lamborghini. He's on a yacht. It starts with him knocking on a woman's door in like L.A., like Beverly Hills, and saying, "Uh, ma'am, would you mind if I borrowed your house for a rap video? And she's like, yeah, okay, sure. And so he's just renting everything. Everything is like pro bono, free advertising. And it was this like... Crazy video where he's in a Lamborghini, he's on a yacht, he's in a mansion, and he paid zero dollars for it. I think it's just called save money, saved that money. Thank you. Check up saved that money by Lil Dicky. It's a great video. It, it and and then if you really listen to the lyrics, he's like, yeah, you know, hip hop culture is is you know flexing by spending money. He's like Jewish culture is flexing by saving. So and then you look right. at all the people who have money and who are they? Uh Jews who save their money. Right. So it's just like you it's it's like a cultural thing where it's like hey if you want to if you want to do well and have intergenerational wealth you can't spend frivolously. You've got to be kind of smart with your money. And a lot of that is taking risk for sure like ask George Soros who's you know lost and gained hundreds of millions of dollars but at the end of the day, you know, well, the guy knew bro, what he was doing. Yeah, hold George George. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to bring it there, but kind of. Yeah, so, so I think it's that's how it
2: started. Back to the Middle Ages. Yeah, like, like ninth, tenth century kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Right. I'll have to do more yeah, research. it's it's, it's a lot of yeah money lending, uh, middleman stuff. Because sometimes the only way they were to they could make money because no one would hire them is to just. Take money, hold on to it, and then loan it to somebody else and charge interest. So sure. you know, but then you, they took that niche and they ran with it, and look where we are today—just killing it, killing it.
2: All right, thank you. All right, good have a good one. Chill.
1: All right, bye bye. Thank you. Uh, hello, who's this? I'm homeless Joe. The supermarket. Oh, what's up, Joe? You were so great last week. What a great sport you were.
3: Thank you so much. And I was kind of telling you if I could have heard him. Our conversation would have been so much better because as I listened to it back, I'm like, "Yeah, he's asking me direct questions I didn't hear. And I'm like, I want to so much differently.
1: Yeah, he wasn't great with the mic in terms of being consistent. He was like, and then it was, I'm like, Dad, stay on the mic the same way. And then he kept opening the, the water bottle, which was driving me fucking crazy. I'm like, Dad, you can't do that on the mic. It sounds horrible. <laughs> But, anyways, there
3: was a there was a guy up here in, in our area, in Massachusetts, where one of his gimmicks on, at three o'clock in the afternoon on his little talk radio program, he would crack a can, yeah, as loud and obnoxious mm. as you could, you can get that whole crack, and that was his gimmick.
2: Yeah, but
3: that's why I, that's not why I called. Anyways, mm. why I called was because you was talking before about how men appeal to women and their ages and whatnot. Yeah. Now, ever since. My adult life was always about like low 20s. Like, even the past couple girlfriends I had, I met him at 19, and then they went on to be my girlfriend 2021, 20, and then not so much after that. But I've changed. Now I feel like I'm, I'm, I could, I never saw her. I could be into an old, you know, older, but older than that. And my top three women are you, Maria Guatemala, and Birch Creek. <laughs> None of you is 20.
1: No. So. But, I mean, like, how many 20-year-olds do you even know? And I'm sure you could still look nope. at a picture of a 20-year-old and go, yeah, that's a, that's a hot chick. Right?
3: Yeah, but this is, I, I mean, I barely have anything in common with somebody who's 30. So to think that I would even have anything to do with the want to have anything to do with somebody who's 20 right now is ridiculous.
1: I understand. The and I sometimes would, the, I mean, the people the you want to fuck the most are not the ones you want to be in, in a relationship with the most. I understand those two things can that, be different.
3: Uh, fucking a 20-year-old now, by comparison to someone with great experience, don't we want to have fun when we fuck? It's not just about what you're looking at.
1: Um, I mean, again, I'm not a guy, so it's kind of hard for me to tell. But I do think that, like, sexual attractiveness is very important, you know, not necessarily... You know, if she's got all the skills, because then if she's got all the skills, you go, how many people has this girl been with? I don't even know. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it has so to attractive. do. Yeah, go ahead. You
3: might bust early. If she's too attractive.
1: Once right, them, but that's that's you on you. That. That's not on her. <laughs> you can't be like, oh, you're too high. You're to make me bust too early. Yeah, don't bring that. Don't use that as a pickup line. Be like, I, I I prefer you because I feel like I can. I'll be. I won't bust too quickly with you, you old <laughs> bitch. So.
3: Hey, I've used it as a pickup line. I'm I, sure I, you well, have. Not really, but I mean, yeah. hey, relax. I, I said, what the hell did I say? I said, man, I want to last two minutes with you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And
3: then I didn't. You didn't. <laughs> so okay. So that's great.
1: Yeah.
3: But re- regardless, I, move, moving forward, Yeah. I also wanted to say that it's nice to have somebody that you communicate with, too, and have good conversation. Like, for example, you, you have a boyfriend.
1: I do, yes. And
3: And... And I would never come at you anyways because logically but, I'm never even going to meet you in person. Right. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get healed. Maybe I'll fly to Tampa and maybe I'll go to Barb. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. I'll never walk again. Who knows? Right. But the point is I can still tell you as a man you are beautiful. Like oh, thanks, and there's sometimes you're more beautiful than the other. And I said one thing in chat today. I said that when you have an awesome, exciting, bubbly attitude, like, when, like Babyface coined the term yesterday, baby voice. Yeah, like I couldn't put a name on on that voice you do it, and I think it's hilarious. It makes you smile and laugh a lot all the time. But even just you right now, for some reason, when you look face on into the camera as opposed from the side, and you got your hair up, and you can see the total uh the two different colors. Like you can see the dark on the top, and then you can see
1: You're up in the bottom of the ponytail. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: You can see the light color.
1: Yeah,
3: I don't. It's just awesome. Your skin tone, awesome. You're.
1: No, oh, that's, really, that's the podcast. ring light. That's the fry light on my face. I mean, th- thank you. I should just take the compliment and run, but... Um, yeah,
3: I'm, I, again, I'm not coming at you, but I'm giving you... I, I, I constantly hear about your self-esteem issues, and you have no reason to have any self-esteem issues whatsoever. Oh, on top of your looks, you're brilliant. Uh, on top of your brilliance, you can communicate. On top of your communication, you can read things of the people. Dang, when I really
1: saying, need to keep you in my people. pocket when yeah I don't hear like I joke about listen the baby voice if I'm being honest is really nothing more than just a manipulation tactic to be honest with you when I feel like I'm in hot water or something it's 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 better to you know you don't sometimes you gotta look at the situation and you go do I bowl through this like a you know like a bull in a china shop or do I baby face? and sometimes you got to use the 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 cards you have in your back pocket and I go, okay well, I'm a chick and if I just like kind of like babyface and i what? like my high-pitched voice it really it's just trying to manipulate the situation so people aren't mad at me that's really what it is if i'm being honest which i am um I feel
3: like as you say you can get away with things in baby voice that you couldn't say in on, on a homo voice
1: correct exactly and that's why it's manipulation and a lot of women do this but i'm ballsy enough to just tell you what it is why we do it and uh yeah it's, it's harder to get mad at me when i'm acting like a baby Right when I'm doing the, it's harder for him to yell at me Then I'm like, Bubba, what the fuck? Versus if I'm like, Boo, why? Like you know that I'm essentially saying the same thing, but I'm saying it in a different way, and I'm uh, allowed to get away with a lot more when you're you know being manipulative like that. But everybody's manipulative, and if you're not, you're a moron and you're dumb. And I feel like oftentimes manipulation is a sign of intelligence. Um, so hey, that's can just can my opinion.
3: You can certainly use it for opinion. good. Too, and that, and yes yep i try my best so here's the last thing i wanted to say i wanted yeah. to bring you back to a time where you weren't here yet and the dark there ages was an after show, there was an after show called buds and suds and it had tuttle and manson's son trace and
1: yeah
3: yeah uh, you know there was that, there was times where lummy was involved and and here's the thing what's the thing bubba likes it when you when you do your ancillary show if you bring clips to the to the the morning show to the main show
1: so oh, you, is, you mean bring a clip and then do, now? like, an after show? I mean, I don't really have time for that. Oftentimes, I start at, like, no. ten twenty. What? What do you mean?
3: No, he's just talking about grab a couple clips from your on a homo show. He, I, he didn't say that. Oh, no, no, no. Years. I used to do
1: me. that. I used to do that. And honestly, Joe, here's the thing. I'm not trying to counter-program you or Bubba or anything. But a lot of times, it's... it's oh, there's an ant. Sorry. um, Just killed it. Uh, A lot of times, it's kind of... It, forced in. Like, I used to do that w- when Seth and I would do a show or when yeah. Lummy and I would do a show and I was told to bring clips and then it was like you know, Bubba would have to stop the flow of the show and be like, and then yesterday on On a Show and then I'd play something completely a non-sequitur. We weren't talking about it. Some offbeat bullshit that I'm rambling on right. about and he has to then be like, great, anyways, moving on. And I felt like it was more of a nuisance than really adding to the flavor of the show. So we kind of stopped doing that because I could tell, even if that's what he requested, he would still get like almost annoyed by having to play it. And I get that because you're, you got the flow of the show going, you got your cast of characters. And then it's like, why would I want to, why would I want to play on a show where she's talking to herself for a fucking hour and a half? Why would I want to bring that on the main show when we've got so many other moving parts to worry about things to talk about that sort of thing?
3: I was just thinking more so about like some of the stuff, Philip JVC ones or three. AVC, I mean,
1: my dad was on the main season. show. That I I think that I that's. I he was,
3: but I'm talking about, you know, he really woke up and got really hot on your show. Oh, I like, know. He was there, well, I tailored it to really him. He really came out.
1: Yes, he came did. came
3: out of his shell on yes. your show. Yes. yes. So yes. I was just thinking maybe Bubba would like to hear that. I like hearing in my head, I'm not hearing about you bringing the positive stuff over there. Yeah. I'm hearing him say to, to other people say, Oh, what the fuck? why yeah. did you give me a clip? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I used to hear him complain a love me all the time. Oh, like I know. That. He used so, to tell
1: me to bring clips, and then every time I did, I just felt like it was ruining the flow of the show, so I just stopped.
3: Yeah, I agree so. with you, because we're not really missing them, but it was just an idea. If there's ever something yeah. so phenomenal, you know when that time hits. Like, when the goat flipped over on itself, you yeah. did a, a 360. <laughs> How do you not bring that clip, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that was, that was a pretty strong one, but it, it certainly helps when there's a visual component. So... And and well, the go the go report on. is like a staple. So I got you. I yeah. got
3: you. Well, I got faith that it's going to happen on your show one of these All weeks. All right. Well, and, you keep your faith, Joe. You're be ready.
1: I have no faith.
3: Awesome. I got well, faith have in a great nothing. Thank All you right. So much. And try Ambien. God bless.
1: God bless. Um, it's funny you mentioned Ambien, and I know Brian from Philly has personally come up to me and advised heavily against it, which makes me want to try it more. Um, yeah, I want to. I want to try this Ambien that people speak of. You know, i I was introduced to not introduced in, in terms of tried, but I found out what Ambien was from a a dear friend that I had in college college not colleged uh college uh, whose name was Megan Megan oh Megan holds a special spot in my heart. I don't know whatever happened to Megan. Names I don't want you to bother her, but whatever. Megan Rash, maybe she's. Maybe she's married. Who knows? Probably not. She's probably dead in a ditch, actually. Uh, but Megan had a drinking problem. Megan had a drug problem. Not a drug, like a heroin problem. It was on its way to heroin. At the time, I didn't know. I didn't know anyone, oddly enough, that abused pills. That was something that was foreign to me when I was 19, 20 years old. I didn't. I didn't know that... People would take, like, maybe if you asked me, but, like, I didn't really understand. I'm like, because in my mind, I guess I thought, like, you take pills when you're sick. Like, why would you want to mess with Tylenol for your brain? Like, I just didn't. I never fucked with pills. I was just told to stay away from anything you weren't prescribed. Lame, I know. But Megan was really the one that put it on the map for me that there were other things to mess around with other than alcohol, weed, and, I don't know, salvia. I tried salvia one time. Um, The first time I saw someone on salvia, I'll never forget it. I was with a man, um, I was with a man named Sagi, and he was like this Israeli dude. And um, unfortunately, he took me out for a date.
0: and get the plan shipped to your door for free, you got to go to mintmobile.com forward slash bubba. That's mintmobile.com forward slash bubba. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com forward slash bubba.
2: BP added more
3: than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arcea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
1: One time and in true Jewish fashion, like this couldn't have been a more Jewish date. We went to get bagels at a little joint called Bagel Cafe in Isla Vista, California. in a part of the larger city of Goleta, which is part of the larger city of Santa Barbara. And he takes me to Bagel Cafe as a Jew. We're two Jews. And he made me pay for my own bagel, which was astonishing to me because even as a Jew, I was like, yo, that's some fucking jew shit you asked me out and it's not even like okay i get it we're in college we don't have a lot of money but like you asked me out i agree to meet you i'm I'm not asking for you to take me to you know the equivalent of burns or wherever you know we didn't go to steakhouse obviously i was vegetarian at the time always have been I'm not asking you to even take me for a fancy dinner vegetarian salad deal. We went for a fucking bagel. I literally got a bagel and cream cheese. Like that was the meal that I got. And he went first to order his paid for his shit and then stepped to the right and allowed me to go and order mine. And I kind of like hesitated like, uh, yes, here's my money, being all slow waiting for him to, you know, intercept the deal. Never did. And so for years later, like, we loosely kept in contact. I haven't talked to him probably in about 10 years or something. But probably the last time I had any interaction with him, even on Facebook, was when I was in Michigan, so at least seven or eight years ago. Um, I'll just be like, yeah, remember the bagel deal? Um, That was crazy. So, uh, yeah, I, I went with him. I think this was maybe prior to the bagel, maybe right after the bagel that night. Um, he's like, "Hey, you want to come to the this party? Some friends hanging out." I'm like, "Okay." This was probably pre-bagel because that that the bagel thing really put me off. Um, he's like, "I have some friends hanging." Okay, cool. So, meet up. We go to his friend's house, and they're all sitting on the couch, like it's pretty chill. And I remember he's like. Uh, do you want some salvia? And I'm like, saliva. I I don't. I'm I'm unfamiliar with this substance you're offering me. And his friend's like, I'll I'll take it. I'm like, okay. I don't know what the fuck that is, so I'm gonna pass on the deal. Kind of like I passed on the you know, blah, blah, blah. um, wait for someone else to take it, see what happens to them. That's kind of my mo. That's how I am with drugs. If I don't have a fentanyl testing strip, I did this a few months ago, bought a bunch of Molly. I'm not going to lie. Maybe I'm kidding. Maybe I'm not. And I didn't have any fentanyl testing strips, bought a bunch of Molly because maybe I went to a concert and the experience could be enhanced. if I had some drugs. Maybe I bought some drugs. Allegedly. I don't know. And maybe allegedly I didn't have any fentanyl testing strips. And allegedly I had a friend who was like, do you want me to be your fentanyl testing strip? And allegedly I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And allegedly he took a bunch of molly and allegedly he was totally fine. And then allegedly I was like, cool, it's good. And then I took a bunch of molly too, allegedly. So um, that's just kind of my MO. Uh, Let someone else take it, see what happens to them and then proceed. So we go to this little party get-together hang thing, and they offer me salvia. I politely decline. And one of the guys on the couch decides to take a nice big hit of salvia. And probably in about mm, 60 seconds, he was on all fours uh, and barking. He was barking like a dog. So I was like, hmm, well glad I didn't take that that would have been awkward on a first date or a second date for me to be like yeah I'll have some salvia so I was like uh, yeah I'm really glad I passed and then what was really funny is that after that incident you know the guy kind of comes to this if you're unfamiliar with salvia and to be honest with you I don't know much about it at the time in California it was legal it somehow I mean marijuana just makes you kind of silly maybe a little sleepy, chilled out. Salvia makes you bark like a dog. And for some reason, that was perfectly legal. No problem. So, um, and you can get it for different, you can get it different potencies, you know, at your local head shop. I looked into it after the Salvia experience because I was like, how the fuck do you just buy this shit? Apparently you could. I don't, I don't know the situation now with Salvia. Maybe they caught on and go, oh, maybe this is not good for society. But... I remember sitting there, uh, the guy's barking like a dog, he comes to, his friends are laughing, you know, they're poking fun at him, they're like hitting him, you know, just being like boys, being silly boys. And then someone again decided, Anna, would you like to go next? And I'm like, you know what, as much as I would like to bark like a dog in front of people I met 20 minutes ago, I think I am good. Pass the off ice, please, and thank you. So... I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, yeah, Megan Rash. Megan Rash. Dear Megan. Um, Megan holds a a sweet spot in my heart because Megan was really the one that introduced me to, you know, prescription pills. Things that were legal, but she was taking them illegally, which which is a cute flex. You know, it's not like cocaine where you can really get it. Yeah, I know in some cases, like in surgical situations, they use cocaine to like numb stuff, whatever. But no one is really, I don't think, and I could be wrong, but no one is really prescribing cocaine, like snorting off a mirror for medicinal reasons. You know, I don't think any, any physician is allowed to do that. Um, But she, I remember she told me that um, she came over one night. She was, she was mostly friends with my roommates, so I'd see her frequently And one time she was sitting on the couch and she just looked fucked up. So in my mind, there was really only you were high and you were drunk. Like those in my mind, those were the only two options because I wasn't exposed to drugs as a kid. I was very, had a very, I don't want to say privileged. I was just very fortunate. I grew up in a a two parent home. I had hobbies. My parents had not a lot of money. We We were middle class, but we were very comfortable you know, and if there was ever a problem, like grandparents would step in and there'd be money. Like there was always, a f- I had plenty, never went a day without, you know, I did a lot of sports. I always had, uh, you know, I did a lot of dance team stuff and I could, af- my parents could afford all the costumes and the workout wear and I never had a crowd fund for some bullshit. So I was very lucky in that way. Um... So I was not I was not accustomed to people abusing drugs in my life. And by the time I got to college, I really only thought that there were two drugs. I knew there were more. But in my mind, I'm like, well, nor, you know, maybe you're doing heroin if you're, you know, a a junkie on the side of the road. But any normal person who is in who got into a University of California school, whatever it may be is, you know, solid enough not to be addicted to any drugs that would really do some serious damage to them. So I thought. So in my mind, there were two camps. You were drunk or you were high, and that was pretty much it. But Megan Rash, God bless her heart, she really opened up a third, another cat, I mean, I I learned about more when I started doing psychedelics when I was a little bit older, but it, she really opened up a third compartment, which was prescri- the prescription pill game, which I was unfamiliar with. I'm like, you know, why would you take that if you're not sick? Like, you know, just an idiot. Just very naive in a lot of ways. Not even naive. It was just like I was unexposed. I just didn't know. I, you know. I I guess ignorant is a better word. I, It wasn't like I thought everything was daisies and roses. I just didn't know people did that shit. So I remember Megan came over one day and she sunk into the couch. And I'm like, wow, are you really high and really drunk? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, I'm like, you're acting weird. She goes, I'm on Ambien. Like, what the fuck is that? Is that? What is that? Will you show it to me? You know, of course, she ate them all. So no, she didn't have any on her. But she just said, I remember she was like, "It's sleep medication." But if you can fight through the urge to sleep, on the other side, is um, is a is a cool experience is a pretty cool high but you got to fight the sleep. I'm like that sounds horrible. I'm like so you're really tired, you force yourself to stay up and then there's a, a line you cross and all of a sudden it's like this real euphoric cool high and I just went hmm noted. Now, Megan Megan I <sighs> Megan had some bad nights at our house. Again, she didn't live there, but Megan she was um, she was a sweet girl, and she had quite a great sense of humor. She was a little bit on the portly side, but it was one of the things I liked most about her. She wasn't a threat. She wasn't going after guys. The girls that I lived with were quite attractive, and, you know, I'd like to say that I was in the, the bottom sector of that group, but still an attractive young girl. Uh, Megan wasn't. And so I felt no—she wasn't a threat. I didn't mind her being around, and she was funny, and she laughed at my jokes. And that's really all you can want from a friend, a person around you. And one night, Megan had a little bit, a little bit too much uh, Jaeger. And by a little bit too much, I mean she had a whole bottle. It's, I don't know if it's a fifth or what the fuck it is, but she, she drank all of the Jaeger. And I remember vividly coming home, I lied— I had some sort of a dance team. I used to do dance, for those that don't know. There's a lot of uh, parts of my my history that are, you know, no, most people don't know about. Uh, I mean, I can get in. I, I tried out for the Laker girls. I know, crazy shit. Crazy shit. But did dance team in high school, did collegiate dance team. So, you know, when you see me putzing around during 199 and you know, it's like, oh, this bitch can't dance. It's like, yes, I can. You just, you know, it's a bit of a show. So anyways, uh, I had a dance team meeting. super lame and it's just a bunch of bitches so I'm like yeah I gotta get out of here so I was like I have to pick up a friend from the train station with the car that I don't have so I left early because there were um one of my roommates had brought a bunch of boys from Connecticut she had a boyfriend and he brought like five of his friends and they were super cute and they were all from like Connecticut or Delaware somewhere on that fucking side of the country And I'm like, oh, my God, great. I got to go. I will see you later. So um, I pretended I left. I got dressed. I went back to my house. Fully decked out. I I would always wear the short jean shorts and like a a long flowy top, maybe like a tube top. And then just like fucking pumps because I had these these stems that just needed to be shown off. Had a great tan. Cute. Cute girl. So I roll in and I remember I'm pouring myself a shot. Getting ready to get up. It's probably 9 p.m. at this point. It's 9 p.m. And I'm talking to my roommate, Sarah, and she is telling me that Megan is not doing well. And I turn and I see Megan on the couch with a bunch of the cute boys, you know. And she she looks incapacitated, but that was Megan's M.O. She Megan was the type of person where you'd be like, you know, you'd be telling her story and say, oh, I got so drunk last night. And Megan would say, um, I woke up underneath a car. And I'm like, okay, well, you just one up my story. Like I was going to tell you that I got too drunk and threw up in a bush, but you woke up under a car. So thanks for that. Thanks for one upping me. I guess I'll see myself out, Megan. So Megan was uh, always in just radical situations. So I, I walk in, Megan's on the couch, the Connecticut boys are there. I'm talking to my roommate Sarah. And she goes, Megan's not doing well. I go, what the fuck, you know, uh, And I, I was very dismissive. She was like, she drank a lot of liquor. She drank a lot of Jaeger. And I go, yeah, we're in fucking college. We're barely 21. That's what we're supposed to do, Sarah. I see drunk people fucking three times a week, Sarah. Everything's fine. Relax. At which point, Megan decides she needs to go to the bathroom or something. She gets up. She starts walking along the perimeter of the coffee table, which was a large coffee table, okay? And it was a square table. And when you're supposed... You know, she was walking along the long side of it, and she wanted to make a right, you know, to round the corner. But she misjudged where the corner was about a foot and a half too early, okay? So you can imagine someone trying to cross over, um, pass by a table, but they lift their foot up a foot and a half too early before they hit the end of the table. Well, then what happens? You just fall on the table is what happened. So she gets up. She's trying to walk. She lifts her leg up as if to just make a right and misjudged it because time and space were not her friend that night. And she just planted face down on the floor. She was wearing a dress, and that dress came all the way up. And I remember she was lying there, and it really was, you know, we talk a lot about discrimination when it comes to black people or women or gay people, and no, you guys are all wrong. That's not the, the, the class that is discriminated the most against. The class that is discriminated the most against is ugly people. Nobody cares about ugly people. No one's fighting for ugly people. Nobody cares about ugly people's feelings or if they're hurt or if they're scared or if they're fucking hungry. Nobody gives a fuck about ugly people. And it was very apparent that night Because there were six grown men in the room with us. This girl falls down, face down on the carpet. A big boom! And no one fucking moved. And I just kind of surveyed the situation. I'm looking from left to right, left to right. And I remember just going, uh, I guess I will help her. $10 Ten dollars from Brian from Philly. Appreciate you. Um, yeah. Oh, don't take Ambien. and take uh I gotta write that down. Temazimpopine. Some shit. So uh I remember trying to help Megan up. You know, there's six grown men in in our apartment. We're all drinking, not out of control at this point. It's it's very measured. And I'm trying to lift her. I cannot. I'm in four-inch heels in, like, little short shorts. And um, I remember just being like, man, if there were only some men in the room that could help me get this little piggy up from the floor. So then, you know, one of the guys was like, oh, my God. I'm so—let me help you with that. Yeah, right. Well, unfortunately for him and for me and for everyone— at that party, Megan did not wear the right attire to be a fucking drunk bitch that night. She was wearing like a slinky, I guess is the best way. It was a type of material that doesn't have a lot of friction. It's hard to get a good grip on it. It's like a, almost like a dry fit versus a cotton. Like cotton, you got to get you got to a hold on. You know, but it, it, when you have a slinky material, not so great. So what I'm trying to say is that Quentin, I remember his name. Quentin got up, he's trying to help me out. And he picked her up, like, you know, from the belly. And that bitch just slid right through his arms, you know. And so now we're seeing um, someone who is being... Not only was she drunk, but she was being combative. And her dress is slipping through his his fingertips. And I remember uh, along with the dress coming up, the panties were coming down. And not only were they coming down, but they were also, like getting wet like she was getting a front wedgie like a front butt and all you saw was belly and pubes that's all you saw and we were just at this point Quentin and I and then a couple of the other roommates we're just trying to whisk this bitch out into the back room like just put her in the back put her in the cage in the back because she She doesn't this bitch doesn't even live here so we're just trying to get her to the back and she's like trench trench war crawling You know, and and just being combative. She's not really saying words. She's kind of playing Pentecostal, you know, speaking in tongues sort of a deal. And at this point, I've had literally zero alcohol. That's why the memory is so vivid, even though this happened, God, 12 years ago, 13 maybe. And, you know, you just see pubes and you just hear the guys laughing. You hear a few, oh, God, like some of that sort of shit. And I, in that moment, I just felt so bad for Megan, because if it was literally any other girl in that room, the guys could have just been like, come here, bitch, oh, yep. and then just carry them away, throw them in the bed, close the door, talk to you in a few hours. But with Megan, unfortunately, because of her size and short stature, it was very hard and, and, the, and the, the material of the dress that she was wearing was very hard to get a grip on her. I mean, at, at one point, I'm pretty sure we were just like rolling her. You know what I mean? You know, like, you would roll some, like, memory foam. You're just, like, trying to push it away and we're rolling her. I remember getting uh, a—retrieving a blanket from uh, the—from one of the cabinets and just holding it like a cape as she was being rolled so you wouldn't just see her pussy hairs everywhere and just going like, fuck, that's embarrassing, and the only saving grace is that she will not— Remember it. So, I mean, there's more details in that night. Suddenly she got legs on her and started knocking over lamps. And she slapped my friend in the face. I saw her fucking slap my roommate and then backhand her. And, I mean, it was hilarious because she was just in the bed. She didn't want to be in the bed. My roommate is like, Megan, stop! You know, and Megan just, like, looks at her. Just that thousand-yard, ambient-ridden, drunk stare and just fucking slaps her across the face and then fucking backhands her. And I was like, oh, I, 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 it was just absolute madness that night. And, um, at that point, again, I'd had zero to drink. So it was all, it was very vivid. And, um, me and my roommates who, some of whom I'm still in contact with, we refer to that night as the night of hurricane Macon Cause that's truly what it was. It was just havoc. Um, there was puke on the floor, puke in the bathroom just, you know, the, the the visual of the pubes everywhere. It was it was aggressive. It was an aggressive night and one that I'll cherish forever. Eight one three ninety Bubba. I honestly haven't thought about Megan in so long and it just makes me so happy. Um, I hope she's alive. I hope she's well, and I just want to thank her for being just such a bright and brilliant memory for me and my roommates. Um, you know, 12, 13 years later. You are a gem, Megan. You are a gem. 81390 bubba um not trying to throw shade at the rock i mean what he does is is great but you know when i see stuff like that what we showed during the last segment of the show of him you know buying a house for somebody else you know it's it's one of those things where you go this is at least in my estimation i don't want to say proof but kind of evidence that there really is no such thing as true altruism right like what does true altruism mean like someone who's truly a good person you know why did he do that did he do it for to make that person's life easier and to do a nice thing yeah did he do it because it makes him feel good which in and of itself is a selfish act yeah did he do it because it's good press and it makes people look favorably favorably at him in the public eye yes yes um, all of those things come into play. And I feel like I talk about this not a lot, but I I certainly don't believe in true altruism. Like there's always an exchange. You know, even with your best friends, your best even with your own parents, your kin, they're they're doing it because you share DNA. It's not like they're indiscriminately giving you love. It's very discriminant because they're not giving that love to, you know, your best friend growing up. They don't give a fuck about that kid. They give a fuck about you because you guys share, you know, 50 percent of the same genes. This is their bloodline. So this true love, unconditional love, um, it's just not a thing. And I've had I've had discussions with people about this before about you know the idea and I don't even mean necessarily romantic love but unconditional love. I don't think that's a thing. I think all love is conditional um, I and I'm trying to think of the, the purest form I guess of unconditional love if we were to talk about that is probably the the love between a parent and a child but even that is conditional on the basis of you know you are related, for example you know it's like you hear about these horror stories. Hell yeah, Bubble Life four ninety nine a bitch eight one. I appreciate you. <laughs> stay, stay on that anytime fitness game. I like it. Um, you know, you hear about these horror stories of these men who uh, they think a child is theirs their whole life, and then come to find out when the kid's like eighteen or even later, you know, they take a DNA test and or something. It's usually like a medical thing that comes up and turns out the kid's not theirs. Um, I feel like at that point when it's 25 years in it's it's hard not to conceive of otherwise just because it's ingrained so much that that's your child but I, I feel like if if a child were born if you if there was an infant and even if you got attached to that infant for like a year if you then found out that it didn't belong to you I feel like there would be a shift in how you viewed that child and essentially your amount of love that you had for that child because at that point it's just somebody's kid that's not yours so I and unless there is an an intentional reason for doing that, like adoption, where you're like, I know this kid isn't mine. I can't have my own kids or I want to adopt because there's plenty of children that need a home, blah, blah, blah. At that point, I do believe that, you know, you can you can love that child. But if that child grew up to be Jeffrey Dahmer, there might be an argument for you to suspend some of that love or divorce yourself from some of that love and go, "Eh, I don't know, I don't know. I love you less now, I think, since you murdered and ate people. Um, so I do think that all love is conditional, especially between friends, especially between romantic partners. Many people fall out of love or they say it's unconditional love. Well, I think that that might be some bullshit. Uh, you Unconditional love isn't romantic to me in any way where it's like, OK, we're married now. Now I can just do whatever the fuck I want. Um, I can gain a thousand pounds or you can quit your job and just, you know, play video games all day. Like that would make me lose love for someone if I was in love with them and then they decided to, you know, not care about themselves anymore and not kind of keep up their end of the bargain. It kind of reminds me of an employment situation. I used to work at a tavern, Dooley's Tavern in Sterling Heights, Michigan, if you're familiar with that area. It's horrible. It's not that bad. But anyways, I worked there before I was fired for stealing lettuce. And anyways, my manager there was also or previously was a manager at Hooters. And he had some fucking crazy stories. Hooters stories. I mean, he was like, it was just, it was like shooting fish in a a barrel. He's like, Anna, I'm not even that good looking. He would tell me. His name was Mike. He's like, I'm not even that good looking. He's like, but when you are at the time he was like 28, If you're 28 and you're just managing a bunch of 19 to 21 year old girls with daddy issues. He's like, he's like, and you just got a little bit of sass and he had a lot of sass. He was, he was a sassy guy. Wasn't it, tall, not the best looking dude, but could definitely, you know, had the gift of gab, was a little bit sarcastic, you know, kind of held that. I don't want to say father figure, but kind of to a lot of girls that don't have a father, he was kind of, you know, the, the manager. He was responsible. He was tall. He was, you know, he could be confrontational when he, when he needed to be. And so he would tell me all these stories about orgies and girls with daddy issues and the crazy shit that they would do to get his attention and whatnot. And he said that, you know, once in a while he would have to have a talk with uh, one of the girls at hooters who was starting to drift in terms of how she looked when she started working at hooters to where she was going you know maybe she had too many wings too many fries whatever she was getting a little old a little chonk well him as the manager was like well this is not good for business and we can't have this person working here anymore but they'd have to he would kind of walk me through all the hr steps that he would have to go through to be even to even be able to have a conversation with a hooters girl who was kind of, you know, getting off the beaten path in terms of she was looking kind of crazy or just different, I should say. Not so much like a hooters girl. When the belly is getting larger than the tits, there's a problem. And so he would walk me through like he's like, "On, I've had had some conversations with people." Um and I'm like, well, walk me through that, Mike. Like, what Say it to me as if I'm, you know, I'm a Hooters girl and I started in January and now it's in October and I've gained 60 pounds. Walk me through that process. He's like, all right. Well, the first thing I, I do is I say, hey, like we got to have a meeting. So he takes the girl in question and he brings her into the office and there always has to be another girl there, like maybe an assistant manager who's a female or something. And then you put HR on speakerphone. So there's at least, there's three people in the room. The new fatty, uh, Mike, the manager, and then like an assistant manager, another Hooters girl, some girl that's there, that's an alibi essentially. And then you have HR on the phone and you go, listen, we've noticed. And he gave me the whole, you know, PC corporate talk about how you can, how you present that to somebody. And he's like, listen, so this is the picture we took of you on your first day at work. And they all take pictures on their first day of work. And they go, "Um, this is who we hired. And we noticed that you don't really look like this person anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to offer you a 30-day free gym membership. And I was like, oh, my God, how the fuck does that go? And he's like, most of the time, they're so insulted that they quit. But every once in a while, like... They get angry or they cause a stink or, you know, they refuse it, but, you know, don't want to quit. They want to take, they want to sue or do something. But that was kind of the rule. And I guess that's also in the contract is you have to look a certain way to be a Hooters girl, which fair enough. That's how the business makes money. You go to Hooters, you know, I I hear they have great wings. I don't know. I don't eat meat. But, you know, part of the going to Hooters experience is I'm get to go and chat up some cute, young, hot chicks. And if there are no, maybe they're still young, but if there's no cute, hot chicks, that's going to fuck with the business and that's going to fuck with the brand. So he would have to kind of break the news to them that there's a problem and you need to get it together because they couldn't just be fired on the spot for that. They had to be given, like, quote, a warning. And if they didn't adhere to that, then they would have to be let go, let back into the wild. So I'm kind of using that as a reference to say that, that it's kind of analogous to a romantic relationship. You know, sometimes it does include a contract like a marriage, but sometimes it's just, hey, scouts honor, we're together. And if all of a sudden one partner goes rogue, you know, I, I think it's fair to, to go back to the drawing board and go, look, This is who I decided to be in a relationship with. And you show them a picture of when you first started dating them. You go, this is what you looked like on day one. This is who I would like to continue to date. This is not a picture that looks anything like you do now. So we have a problem. And that doesn't just go with looks, but that also goes with, you know, jobs. You know, especially for women, it's like, hey, you had a six-figure paying job. And then now you don't. And that's a problem. Now, here's the thing. When when it comes to looks or even money, you don't just bail on the first bump in the road. You know, she had a bad week at work. She's eaten a lot of Oreos, which are very overrated cookie, by the way. Extremely overrated. They're they're not good by themselves even. They have to—Oreos are really only good as a topping. They're, in addition to ice cream— or a cake, or something that's better than the Oreo. It enhances that, but it certainly is not good on its own. That's just my personal opinion. Hot take. But, you know, if you go, hey, there's a bump in the road, you lost your job, or you started gaining weight, no problem, you kind of, you have to bring it up, and it's uncomfortable, but you have to bring it up, and you go, listen, I just want to make sure that you're good, everything's okay with the the mentals and the chickens, I'm not going to bail, but just let me, I'm just letting you know I'm a little maybe concerned about some things. And then as that progresses and gets worse, it's fair to say, look, second warning, this is starting to become a problem with for me. It's starting to interfere with my attraction for you in some regard. You know, it's, it, you can still reverse course, but I just want to let you know that this is a problem. And then if that progresses, you know. You, I don't. There's no really right answer on how many warnings you can give someone. But if you keep bringing up a topic and that person is refusing to change, you know, they're refusing to, you know, snap it back into shape or they're refusing to get a job or they're just playing video games or, you know, they're deviating from the person that you initially started the relationship with. I think it's it's fair to go listen. As much as I would like to say that this is unconditional love, it's very much conditional love. And I just can't do it with you anymore because this is just not what I signed up for. So in that way, I think that all love, especially, I I would say that the strongest argument for unconditional love is obviously between a parent and a child. But beyond that, I think everything is very conditional. That's why a lot of marriages end because the conditions change for whatever reason. You know, it was conditional on us being monogamous. And look at you being not monogamous this is a problem for me the conditions have changed you know not to say i you can snap your fingers and not love someone anymore but you can at least choose not to be with them and then you know with time that usually breeds um indifference which was a i don't know if you are a fan of the lumineers i do love the band the lumineers They're hard lefties, but fuck, they make great folk music. And there's a line in one of the Lumineers' songs, and it struck me during my last breakup, which was interesting, is is he said that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I was like, bingo. Like, that really resonated with me, because it's not about, like, me not loving you the opposite of that is is not me hating you because that's there's still a lot of emotion there. I still care if you if you hate someone you care. There's there's you're invested emotionally, but the opposite of love is when you don't give a fuck anymore. That's always the goal after a breakup. It is not to just hate them and resent them and have them live rent-free in your head. The goal is to feel completely numb when you think of them. Like there's no emotional like uh internal response. You don't get upset. You don't get sad. You just go, Yeah, it's just a fucking person I used to know. No problem there. No problem there. Uh 81390 Bubba, sorry, there were some calls that came in and I didn't take them. Um but yeah, if you have any comments on conditional love, unconditional affection or love, whatever you want to call it, I definitely think that it's um it's something that you know we've romanticized that uh, you know, you could just you could just love someone no matter what. you know, ride or die. And listen, like you could be loyal as fuck. and but I just feel like every everything has conditions. And if you don't have conditions, you have no boundaries. and if you have no boundaries, then you know, much like a country. You got no borders, you got no country, you got no boundaries, you got no self-respect. So unfortunately, self-preservation, it always has to come first, as much as you would want to love the person and be with them. But you're like, hey, the person I started dating um, was not addicted to heroin. That's not what I signed up for. So I would love to stay and needle up with you. But unfortunately, it's time for me to go be somebody and live my life. So I feel like those are grounds for, you know, terminating a relationship, not being friends with somebody. And it can be very painful because maybe you have a lot of history with this person. Maybe you even have children with this person. But at the end of the day, folks, life is, life is so short, right? We don't have a lot of time on this planet. You probably don't want to be spending it with someone using what Matthew Hussey calls the one-day wager which is maybe, hopefully, one day this person will change, even though they've shown no evidence of any sort of intention to change or do something different. You just keep hoping for the best. I don't think that's a good bet. Even an experienced gambler would tell you that's not a good bet, and the house always wins. So with that, I'll leave you. Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on. Let's get those YouTube numbers up. We're at 90.3K subscribers. I'd love to see it be 91, 92 when I return on Monday. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Brian from Philly. Bubble Light. JMP Morgan. Uh, whoever donated money, I appreciate you so much. Let me get your name. Stand by. I'm getting your fucking name, buddy. Beep, beep, beep. Brian from Philly. JHM3 for the 19 99. I appreciate you all. Have a great weekend. I'll see you on the on the other side. Goodbye.